Hey, and welcome to the Engage Church Podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm honored that you're taking some time to listen. This is a message wrapping up our short two-week series called The Power of No. This message right here is called Not Today, Satan. Buckle up. Let's go. Hey, it's a good day to be in church, and uh, we're concluding a quick two-week series called The Power of no. See, for a long time, we've, we've been convinced and we've convinced ourselves that no is negative. And it started when we were little kids and we reached our hands into the cookie jar and your mom was like, no, not before supper. And somewhere a neural pathway was created that says anytime somebody says no to me, it's a negative thing because they're standing in the way of what I want. And so time after time after time, we hear no, and sometimes we hear the no in the context of our lives coming from Jesus, and we go, Jesus doesn't want the best for me. Jesus wants to hurt me, and just like my toddler, who hears no when I say no cookies before supper, we throw a spiritual temper tantrum because we just want Jesus to say yes, because we always know what's best. But God had a different plan. Enter Hebrews chapter 4. If you're using a real Bible, you can meet me over there. If you're using the counterfeit U version, it's not counterfeit, it's legit. Uh, if you're using the U version Bible on your cell phone, everything's already loaded on there for you. You go to the more button in the bottom right hand corner, then events, you'll see engaged church and all your notes, including ex- expanded scriptures and content, is available there for you. But for the rest of us, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If you're ready, say, I'm ready. I'm ready. If it's hot in here, say, it's hot in here. Okay, it wasn't just me. I'm like, okay, it's a little little toasty. Baptism Sundays, the humidity and the temperature always goes up, but the water temperature goes down. So it's really refreshing. Anyways, Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, which, if we're being honest, is terrifying. Because if people knew what was going on in the inside of me, wow. Nobody would like me. But the Word of God has this ability to just cut through the persona, to cut through the BS, to cut through the show, to cut through the thing that I present to the world, and to get to the very depths of who we are. Now, the interesting thing about the Word, it's not just talking about the Bible, because if you would remember in John chapter 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. What he was talking about there was Jesus. So what we could say is that Jesus is alive and powerful. He's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And he has this ability to cut through soul and spirit and to expose our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing is hidden, in other words. From Jesus. Now, because we're all friends and it's 12 o'clock, I thought I would just uh, loop you in. About a year ago, uh, end of November, last year, I was reading this book called The Last Arrow by a guy named Pastor Erwin McManus. Erwin McManus is a legend. Um, he's a guy who's known for being way ahead of his time. Hey, we got the hello. Um, familiar face in the crowd. Um, Incoming message from the Lord God Almighty. I read this book, and, and in this book, Pastor Erwin McManus, he was talking about early in his ministry career. Now, he's based in L.A. He's got this big, thriving church in two countries and six locations, something like that. And, uh, and now you're like, wow, I don't know why he would have done it. But earlier in his ministry career, he gets a phone call out of nowhere from Iowa. 
and they're like, hey, we know you're just starting in LA, but we know, we, we, we see what God is doing with you, and we got an opportunity for you. We want you to come to Iowa and pastor our church. There's like thousands of people here, and, and we think you're the right man for the job, and it's perfect, and, and he gets the phone call, and he contemplates it, and he's thinking about it. He's like, no, no, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, and I just laughed out loud when I read that because I'm like, this is just stuff that goes in books. Like, this doesn't actually happen to anybody ever on any given day. And then the next day, my phone rang. And it was Portland, Oregon. And it was a pastor that I had known. He said, hey, Brett, we want you to come and take over our church in Portland. This last December. And if it all goes well, we want you to be here by January. And you can go back and forth to Spruce Grove every two weeks. And then you'll pastor here to thousands of people. And then you can still do your thing in Spruce, but we just need you to actually move here by April entirely. And I was like, oh, that, okay. So then I was like, oh, man, this does happen in real life, I guess. (laughs) And I remember that book, and I remember that moment, and I started talking to Des, and I did what any good Christian does when they are presented with a situation where they don't want to say yes or no. I just simply said, (laughs) I'll pray about it which is generally code for I probably won't pray about it. I'll just think about it, but... Oh, okay. As if you've never done that. All right. At least we're all comfortable being hypocrites today. And so Des and I actually did start praying about it. Because like, Lord, this is crazy. I mean, who even wants to live in the U.S. right now? But it's like, this is, this is everything, like, in, in some words, this is everything we've ever wanted. This is, like, the next thing. This is the next stage. This is a level up. But then we had to take into consideration all kinds of things, our kids, our future, our family, our church family here. Now, to put it in context with you, at that time, our church was averaging about 171 people, and we had uh, two services. We were thinking about doing the third. We were just about to do the third, but, you know, we hadn't done any of that yet. And so it seemed like a big level up. It seemed like a big next opportunity, but... How do you make a decision like that when both things are, look good, when both outcomes look like they could be great? Have you ever had that moment where you're like, man, I'm presented with so many choices here, and I don't know which way to go because they all just look like they could be like pretty good. How do you even, how do you even process that? What I want to talk about today is how on earth do I make the right decision? How do I make the right decision when I'm confronted with all of these choices, how do we make the right decision? I think we can learn something from Jesus. Shock. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. He might have something to say about it. Why don't you turn with me, if you're using a real Bible, because I love you so much, to Matthew 4. And we're going to start at verse 1 and move all the way through 11 verses together, which might seem like a lot, but it's going to just zip right by. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and nights he fasted and became very hungry. For those of you who are not aware of what fasting is, it's not eating. This can happen in your life for medical purposes or for spiritual ones, though I'm not going to recommend a 40-day, 40-night, unless you speak, seek serious spiritual counsel and medical advice. Uh, but Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, so he's not just hungry, he's hangry. And the devil shows up. Because how many knows the devil always shows up when you're hungry? Always. That's why every second commercial is fast food when you're hungry. 
If you're like, man, I've got to do these medical tests. I can't eat. And every commercial comes by and it's Harvey's and Wendy's portobello mushroom melt. And then it's McDonald's and you're just like, man, I just want all the things right now. And your wife's like, you cannot eat for three hours. What's wrong with you? I don't know why you're so, <laughs> your mouth is watering. It's not even a long time. But you're like, the devil always shows up when I'm hungry. And he says, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told them, now the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and I will give it to you. Sorry, he says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Love Jesus' response. Get out of here, Satan. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Does anyone do a cousin's Christmas exchange with gifts? Anyone do that? With me and all our cousins, we do this exchange where we set a limit, stay within it, you know? <laughs> Don't spend more than 20 bucks. Everyone just kind of buys for the cousins because I'm not buying for everybody. And uh, what I want to happen when we do it is I want my cousin Josh to pull my name and I want to call his, pull his name because we're really good at giving gifts to one another because we're, we're similar in a lot of different ways. And he gives incredible gifts. And so I'm just deeply selfish. And I was like, I want Josh to give me a gift. And so when Christmas rolled around and I saw that Josh pulled my name, I was like, thank you, Jesus Christ Almighty. <laughs> <laughs> and so everyone's opening their presents. And we did this thing with all my little cousins where we convinced them that you literally cheer and applause every single time somebody opens a gift. And when you've got a large family, it's awesome twice. But you get to gift 12, 13, 14, 15, and they're like, yeah! And my dad's like, you're the worst person ever. Why do you teach the kids to do this? And I get my gift, and everyone's cheering and applauding. They're like, open it, open it. Oh, and I'm like, all right, if you insist. I open up the gift, open up the box, and there it is, glistening and shining in front of me, this beautiful watch. I'm like, buddy, it's 20 bucks. And I'm like, hold. And like the light catches it, and I'm just like, thank you, Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful. And I'm like, does that say Rolex? And I'm like looking at it, and everyone's like, oh, ah. And I'm looking at it, and I look at it closer, and I'm like looking at it, I'm like, does that say Rorex? <laughs> That's not a Rolex. Oh, it was 20 bucks. He just came back from New York, and he was at this place called Canal Street, where all the knockoffs are. So if you want a Louis Vuitton bag that's not too grand, you go there and for 25 bucks, you just pray that you don't get injured on the way out, but you go get this counterfeit knockoff of this thing that you really, really want. What I need you to know today is that at best, Satan is a counterfeit knockoff. At best, he is doing a good impression of God. At best, the best that he has to offer you is a modification or, or, or a simple thing that looks like God, that smells like God, that tastes like God, but is not God. 
See, to understand that, we have to understand where he comes from because we understand that, that, that Satan or the devil, we call him Lucifer or Beelzebub, he's got all kinds of different names. When we think of him, we think it's Halloween and we think of like scary guy, red mask, red suit, spandex, you know, pointy stick, and we're like, wow, the devil. And we either think of him as all-powerful and terrifying or we think of him as this like little caricature emoticon, I'm angry, Right? Like, it just depends where you fit on the spectrum. But in reality, we have to understand where he comes from. Where he comes from, he comes from heaven. He was an angel. In fact, the Bible describes him as a beautiful angel. One of the most beautiful angels, if that, there's even a thing like that. And it describes him as having these pipes and jewels and gems. And he was a musician. His, his body was literally an instrument. He was handcrafted, precision made to worship and to glorify God. Like, Jessica and Clayton are amazing, but they had nothing on this guy. He didn't. He, he's the greatest worship leader of all time. Satan was the greatest worship leader of all time. You're like, that's what? That can't be true. No, it's true. But then it went to his head and he decided he didn't want to just be in the band. He wanted to be the one being worshipped. And he led a third of the angels in a little bit of a power struggle until ultimately Jesus and God were like, flick, leave cast out from heaven. Earth is your domain and your dominion. Do that and we'll deal with you later and you'll figure that out when you open Revelation when you're not afraid of it. So what we have to understand is that the way that Satan or the devil appears is not as you anticipated. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 14 describes it like this, but I'm not surprised even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, when he shows up, you think that he shows up as like this big, bad, mean, ugly, scary guy. In fact, he just kind of shows up as a smooth, kind guy with a lot of opportunity, but it just doesn't quite feel right. Can't put your finger on it. Just doesn't seem right. See, what he's really good at is taking words, and most specifically taking God's words and just kind of twisting them a little bit because he intimately knows the systems and structures of the earth, of the natural and of the spiritual realm. So he knows how to use those things to his benefit. Though he does not control them, he just gets to use them. And he knows how to use them. This is what happened with Adam and Eve. Literally, Adam and Eve had the vastness of earth. And God said, listen, just leave this one thing alone. But because it's our human condition, we just fixate on the one thing we cannot have, like the glorious cheeseburger when you're fasting. Adam and Eve just kept coming by the tree going, my precious. I want it so bad. And Satan's like, hey, you want that? You can have that. No, 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 we can't. We're going to die. No, no. This is what literally says in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 3. No, no, you won't die. You won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. See, that sounds, that sounds ideal. Oh, the opening of my eyes, new enlightenment, new enlightenment, new understanding. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, when you're a human being and you hear like God, you don't hear like God, you hear I will be God. Because that's just what we want. And if you don't think that's true, then why is it that you have a hard time letting go and following Jesus? Food for thought. So when he comes, he comes and he presents things in just a subtle twist and a little 
little change, just a little counterfeit thing. No, 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 you'll be like, God, it's all going to be great. It's all going to be fine. Now, we know the story. It didn't end that way. They didn't end a natural death, but everything changed in that moment. See, here's what we need to know today. And it's honestly, it's going to be quite simple because I think we make a lot of these things really complicated. What I want to get to the heart of is how do we make these decisions? But what we need to understand first is that temptation is a tactic. Temptation is a tactic. It's something to use to distract you, to take you off of your course and to take you off of your trajectory. If God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, and you're moving in a certain direction, he wants to move you forward, he wants to see you move forward, then Satan, the devil, Beelzebub, whoever you want to call him, Lucifer, comes, and he just comes to distract you from that timeline, from that trajectory. He comes to offer you just a slightly different alternative. He comes to just mix it up, and he comes, and he takes something that God intended to be great, and he's like, here's a good alternative that's going to happen quicker, and it's going to happen faster. But what you have to know is temptation is a tactic. It's used to distract you. It's used to catch you off your guard. It's used to drag your eye because Satan is the master of misdirection. If you watch, if you like have ever seen magic, everything, you're like, how do they do that? Most of the time you're just distracted while the real thing goes down. The same thing is true in our lives. We focus on this thing over here and all this other stuff goes down over here. But I want you to put I just want us to put our finger on a few things that happen with Jesus. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 4. I don't know if you noticed this, but he kept saying something over and over again when he's talking to Jesus. He goes, if you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God, do this. If you are the son of God and you're hungry, then just make those rocks bread. Make a donut. They haven't been invented yet, but you're the beginning and the end. You can just do it. Get a cronut. There's no lines. Whatever you want. Just make it. Carbs. Carbs good. <laughs> Another message from the Lord Almighty. Carbs are good. <laughs> See, but did you notice that what he does? He begins to poke at Jesus' identity. He's like, oh, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, and I'm not likening Dayton and Jesus' brothers, but I see this happen all the time in my house. I got two sons, Everett's six, and Kingston's almost four. Kingston is my mini-me, new and improved version. He's got his glasses now. He's, like, literally so cute. Because, uh, I mean, I am, and he's... So, anyways. <laughs> but right now in my house, ball is life. Like, they just play basketball in our, like, kind of entryway living room and Jeremy's like you need to do something about this in your house I'm like I know I'll do something but we just set up the net and Kingston is like he's got a flawless shot he's like and I don't even think he cares he just shoots and he just sinks it and then he moves further back and the further back he gets the better he gets it's crazy and Everett uh, he plays and (laughs) but there's only one thing that matters in my house right now the only thing more important than ball is winning because Kingston's also my son. And all he cares about is winning. And all Everett has to do to get him off his game or to throw him off is like, I just won that one. And King's like, no! I won! Just like that. And you think I'm exaggerating it, but it's way worse when it's happening. 
Because he's this tall, but the voice is from Satan himself. He's like, I won! And he's like this tall, and you're like, oh my God, in Jesus' name. And it's like, all he cares about is winning, but Everett knows how to poke his button, to push it, his identity, to push it the little things that are important to him. And so Satan comes to Jesus and goes, if you're the son of God, just do it, man. Just show the world how powerful you are. If you're really, I don't know, are you really the son of God? Just do it. Just jump off the building. Fly. Angels will come. Do it. Do it, Jesus. If you're really the son of God. Sounds like little kids bickering back and forth, but Satan comes to poke at Jesus' identity in the same way he comes to poke at our identity. And he says, hey, you got this opportunity in front of you. He says, hey, you're never going to measure up. You don't have the skills. You don't have the talent. You don't have, you're never going to measure up. You're like, oh, (laughs) I guess I know what decision I'm going to make because I'll never measure up. And the next opportunity comes along. It's like, oh, who do you think you are? Do you know where you come from? You think you're going to fit in with those people? You think you're going to do that thing? He just begins to poke at our identity. So you see, a decision is not just a decision. It's this, it's this battle that rages because what's happening inside of us is so much more intense than what's happening in the actual decision-making process because what we now know and what Satan knows is that every decision affects my trajectory and he just wants to get us offline and off the mark and off and out of sync with God's plan and purpose. And he just pokes at our identity, but here's what we have to remember is that we can flip the finger. And I'm not talking about the middle one. (laughs) See, every time the finger of accusation comes at you and says, hold on, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're a mistake. You're not going to make it. You're not going to measure up. You're not going to fit in. You can't accomplish it. What you have to remember is he's just poking at my identity. And if he's poking at my identity, then every time he makes an accusation of me, the opposite thing is true. Because he's actually identifying something that he's trying to shut down in me. So when he says, hey, you're never going to measure up. You're never going to add up. He say, hold on. I follow Jesus. Jesus is more than enough. I don't get my identity through you. I get my identity through him. So hold on. I'm more than enough. When he says, I don't have the skills, talents, and abilities to do it. Guess what? I generally have the gifts, skills, talents, and abilities to do it. He's just poking away at my identity, trying to offer me an alternative storyline to my life so I could be distracted off my life purpose. Every time the finger of accusation comes, it's often rooted in truth and flipped against you. Because that's how he works. That's, listen, it's not a secret. The Bible is full of encounters where he just takes that one piece of truth and just twists it just a little bit. So next time the finger of accusation comes to point at you, when you're wrestling and struggling with this decision, it says, I can't do it. I won't make it. I'm not enough. Every, just understand that every lie that comes your way, You flip the finger back and you say, hold on. Sorry, you said I'm not enough. I don't have enough. What you actually just meant was I'm full of potential and I'm about to crush it. Right? Because the finger of accusation comes and twists at the truth. And you're like, no, no, what is this, some self-help guru seminar? You're not saying that, but Brendan is. And the truth is, no. You're like, is this just about self-love? It's like, no, temptation is a tactic. This is a strategy. We're identifying a strategy that's been repeated time after time after time in Scripture. And what we know is true is that when Satan comes, it pokes at our identity. 
Jesus is more than enough and is often the opposite thing of what he's trying to do. He's the master of misdirection. He also does this other thing. You aware of the phrase, for every strength there is a weakness? You're aware of that phrase? Every single time, in the same manner, you go through a decision-making process and you begin looking at something. It's always amazing how you start listening all the reasons why you're deficient. Right? All the reasons why it's never going to be going to happen for you. And you thought that that was just you. But I hate to break it to you. That's not you. That's a voice whispering in your ear reminding you that you're not going to add up, you're not going to measure up, that you're full of weakness and flaw. But if it's true that on the other side of every weakness, uh, strength there is a weakness, it's also true that on the other side of every weakness there is a strength. In a subtle twist of a simple truth, we begin to understand that every time I'm overwhelmed with an attack on what feels like my insufficiency, we can remind ourselves that in Jesus, <laughs> we are full of strength. And on the other side of that weakness that's been described to me are two, three, four, or five other attributes that balance out that very weakness because I'm not a mistake. I was handcrafted and created by the master of the universe. And guess what? He actually understands my talent ratio. He understands my strengths. He understands my weakness. And he's actually put counterbalances in my life. And he's also called us to be a part of a broader community because when I walk with somebody else, they balance me out. Jeremy, why don't you come up here for a second? So many of you know uh, Pastor Jeremy. Come on, give it up for Jeremy. Just a little plug. Next week, we're starting a great series together. We're just bouncing back and forth at all the locations. It's going to be a lot of fun. Still trying to figure out a name. Uh, I like crazy things, and he likes not crazy things, so we'll just see where it comes out. But we did this, uh, we did this uh, test. You ever do personality tests with your friends? Okay, just us. We're losers. Um, so we were, it's a leadership one. And uh, so we were doing this thing called Five Voices, and what we discovered is that we are the exact opposite of one another. And that's awesome. Because I've got a whole bunch of gaps that he fills. And he's got a whole bunch of gaps that I fill. And oftentimes we think that it's just us and we suck and we're alone and we've got all these gaps. Maybe instead of thinking that you're supposed to do this whole thing on your own, maybe that's also the subtle deception. The subtle deception is that, oh, you should just go live in isolation. You can accomplish these things. You've got all these weaknesses and you just should obsess about them. Or what if the real truth is that you were intended to live in community, intended to do this together, and you'll only fulfill your destiny and your purposes when you walk together? Because if I walk with him, we're unstoppable. Because whatever gap I have, he fills. Whatever gap he has, I fill. And then we add Brendan to the mix. And then we add Allie to the mix. And we add Danny to the mix. And we add Tyler to the mix. And all of a sudden, we all look different. We've all got different gaps and strengths and weaknesses, but we all cover one another, and we become this unstoppable wall walking into the future and walking into the destiny that God has not only for me, but that has for Jeremy, and has for Brendan, and has for Allie, and has for Danny, and has for Tyler. And I could just name everybody in this room because the truth is the greatest deception that comes at you is that you have to do life on your own, and you're not good enough unless you can 
prove to the world that you can do it by yourself. And that's not true. Give it up for Pastor Jeremy. Huh? Yeah, Seb's got a few strengths too, but he's not in the room, so we'll, we'll use Brendan instead. <laughs> You're the new Seb. Uh, don't tell Seb I said that. Scrub this from the internet. It's really going to play on his weaknesses. Anyways. I'm so not on these notes, but it doesn't matter. We've gone to left fielding. This is why we love the 12, am I right? Because God is just speaking into exactly what's happening, where we are, where we're at right now. And what God really wants you to know is you're intended for community. You're not intended to do it alone. And every time a weakness is whispered, there's actually strength on the other side. That it's a twist and it's a lie and it's been holding you back for your entire life because you bought into the lie. But now we can identify actively that this is a tactic and this is something that's being used against you and it's manipulating you. And every time you go to make that next decision, you go, hold on. I know what to do with this information now. I haven't been getting the whole picture this entire time. I've been making decision after decision after decision thinking that I'm worthless and I'm nothing. Now I get to see, <laughs> I get to see my future the way that Jesus sees it. Wow. So how do I make the right decision? Have you ever had that moment when you've had to make so many decisions that you're like paralyzed? You're just stuck. Carvin shared a great video on this last night. But like decision-making paralysis, President Obama, when he was the president, literally had two suits and like two different shirt colors and he would just like literally not have to make that decision for the day. Because it just, you make so many that it's like, I, I don't even want to think about it. That's, I guess what I'm telling you is you can just wear the same clothes every day. It's totally fine. <laughs> That's why I buy four of the same shirt and four of the same pants. But, you get so paralyzed because you feel lost because you're taking all these things into account. You don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and you're just stuck. But guess what? There's actually a light at the end of the tunnel because Jesus left some clear instructions when he uttered this verse, which is actually a promise, which we just overlook because it's so common and familiar. Jesus said, when you're lost, guess what? I am the way. <laughs> he was there the whole time. We've been looking for direction and roadmaps and destiny and ideas. And Jesus said, hold on. I am the way. And I've been trying to figure this out for years. Oh, yeah. And watch what he does. We bring it right back around to Psalm 37. Jesus is the way. And when we're lost, we just follow him one step at a time. So when I get lost, when I have decision-making paralysis and I don't know what to do, you just follow Jesus. And every time you follow Jesus, the voice of the accuser is silenced. The voice of manipulation is silenced. And the, the truth begins to win out. Because when I walk in the way of Jesus, I'm led into the truth of Jesus. Because not only is he the way, but he is the truth. And when I step into the truth, and I begin to understand who I am, and who he says I am, and what I'm called to, guess what I step into? Life and wholeness. It's all found in Jesus. But it's not just a phrase or a line. It's a road map. When I'm lost 
Jesus is the way. He leads me to all truth, and there I discover life. He's the total package. How do I make the decision? I follow Jesus one step at a time. I understand that the devil is a liar, and he's been manipulating me for years, but today I say, hold on. And then I take a playbook from Jesus Christ Almighty in Matthew 16, 23, and when that voice comes, I say, hey, get behind me, Satan. Not today. Not today. Not today. Get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Ironically, this is Jesus speaking to one of his friends. Like, wow, he's a good friend. No, he was just recognizing the voice of the manipulator. And the manipulator only looks at the human perspective, the human point of view, what's possible right here. What can you do? What can you accomplish? What can you pull off? Listen, we don't roll that way. We roll with Jesus, the God of the impossible. He feeds 5,000 people, which is 5,000 men, which was 15 to 20,000 people with some Lunchables. That's who we roll with. We just keep our eyes magnified on the small things, on the small problems, and we forget that Jesus is not only the way, the truth, and the life, but he's the answer. And he's so much bigger than we often give him credit for. Get behind me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know God's got a great plan and a purpose for you, and I know that it's not a mistake that you were listening to this message today. So if you want to reach out, if you need somebody to talk to, feel free to send us an email, hello at engagechurch.ca. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church, you want to come check us out live and in person uh, for the real deal, then get all the information online at engagechurch.ca. I'm Brett. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're running or you're at the gym right now, you got this. Go get it.